What a rich vein of scripture our lectionary has struck today. In our first lesson, the prophet Jeremiah writes to Judeans who were captives, exiles in Babylon following the Babylonian conquest of Judea in the early 6th century BC. Jeremiah tells those Judean exiles to put down roots in Babylon and not to expect to return to Judea very soon. Jeremiah's letter to them is also an important message to us today. For we also live in a kind of exile. That is, as citizens of God's heavenly kingdom, we live in this fallen world as resident aliens, as expatriates, and as ambassadors for Christ. But that does not mean checking out of or denigrating the value of our lives here and now, imperfect though they are. We don't simply wait until God takes us to heaven saying, well, it's all going to burn anyway, or none of this will matter in a hundred years. Instead, God calls us, as he did the Judean exiles, to invest in our temporary homes and not to despise the world. God calls us to live here as faithful, active, and involved ambassadors of his kingdom. Jeremiah's letter is a really important reminder that we are to take our lives here on earth seriously, using our time and our other resources wisely for the glory of God and the benefit of our neighbors. If you'd like to hear more about this passage, our first lesson from Jeremiah 29, and the topic of living in the world as resident aliens, I encourage you to listen online to the sermon from August 7, 2016. Our second lesson is also taken from a letter. This time, the Apostle Paul is writing to his protege, Timothy. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, Paul tells Timothy, Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, a descendant of David. That is my gospel, for which I suffer hardship, even to the point of being chained like a criminal. Paul is writing from prison, from where he wrote several of his letters that eventually became part of the New Testament. So, in our first lesson, Jeremiah is writing to people who have been taken into exile far away, a kind of long-term imprisonment. In our second lesson, Paul is writing to Timothy from prison. And he tells Timothy, this gospel, this gospel of Jesus Christ risen from the dead, It's worth suffering for. Even, says Paul, to the point of being chained like a criminal. But, Paul adds, the word of God is not chained. That is, not even chains, the chains that Paul wore, could hold back the word of God. And the word of God sets us free, even when, to all appearances, we are captive exiles. The word of God frees us from our captivity to sin, to guilt, to cynicism, and despair, which can get a strong and dangerous grip on us. God's word reminds us that though we are indeed sinners and deserve nothing from God, such is God's love for us that he came into the world to take on our lot. All our sin, 
our guilt, our shame, our sense of futility, our despair at the depravity and injustice in the world, and even within ourselves. God took all of that. In Jesus Christ, He took that from us and put it on His own back, bearing it to the cross. There, Jesus died to put those things to death and to release us from their burden. And when He rose from the dead, those burdens, they stayed in the tomb. Baptized into Jesus' death and resurrection, we then are unchained, free to walk in newness of life, even if, like Paul, we find ourselves in a physical prison or, like the Judeans, in exile in a faraway country. Nothing, nothing, writes Paul in Romans chapter 8, can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, which is ultimate liberation. And that is good news indeed, which is why reading on in our second lesson, verse 12 comes as such a shock. There, Paul tells Timothy, if we deny him, he will also deny us. And then right after that, in verse 13, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. What does that mean? How can both statements be true? If it's any comfort, know that we're not alone in our bewilderment. Christians have been asking these questions for a long time. And there are several ways to interpret the passage, but for now, I'd simply like to highlight its consistency with a pattern that we see elsewhere in Scripture. That is, first, what God demands of us, followed by what God promises us. In theological terms, we call God's demands law and his promises gospel. We see this pattern of law and gospel, of demand and promise, frequently in Scripture and in the life of the church, not least in God's condemnation of our sin, followed by his gracious and liberating word of forgiveness. Without Christ, we stand condemned. In Christ, our unfaithfulness is overcome by God's own faithfulness. In Christ, we receive God's own righteousness in exchange for our sin. In Christ, God takes our spiritual uncleanness and makes us clean indeed. Our gospel lesson from Luke 17 is a story of disease and healing, of ritual impurity and cleansing. Jesus, on his way back from Galilee to Jerusalem, heals ten people with leprosy, a Greek word that can refer to a variety of skin diseases. In Jesus' society, people with leprosy were not only physically afflicted, but according to Jewish law, were also considered ritually unclean and were therefore kept physically and often socially distant from the rest of society. Of the ten people that Jesus healed, just one, one returned to thank him. And Jesus says to that man, get up and go on your way. Your faith has made you well. To which my question is, what faith? 
Was it that he and the others, before they had been healed, had obeyed Jesus and gone to show themselves to the priests? See, in Jesus' society, in order for someone with leprosy to be considered clean, a priest had to examine them and certify them as leprosy-free. So you wouldn't normally go to show yourself to the priest before you were healed. But the ten people Jesus met, they did go, as Jesus told them to, even before they had been healed. Perhaps that's the faith for which Jesus commended the one man who came back to thank him in verse 19. Faith manifested in obedience to Jesus' command. Whether or not that obedience was the faith that Jesus was talking about, before Jesus told him, your faith has made you well, there's no indication that the healed man was aware that he had had any faith at all. Which I find encouraging in that Jesus calls these people of not particularly impressive faith. Jesus calls them faithful. They simply obeyed Jesus' word. Like the slaves in last week's gospel lesson, they might say of themselves, we have only done what we ought to have done. All ten of the people with leprosy obeyed Jesus' word to show themselves to the priest, and all ten were healed. And the one who returned to thank Jesus, he was a Samaritan. He's the one that Jesus commends for his faith. Odd. Odd that, because at Jesus' time, most Jews considered Samaritans to be sort of religious half-breeds, syncretists, and even heretics who had rejected worship at the Jewish temple in Jerusalem in favor of their own temple on Mount Gerizim, north of Jerusalem, near the modern city of Nablus. In short, Samaritans were considered unfaithful. So Jesus commending the faith of a Samaritan raises the question again, what faith did he mean? When I consider my own faith, how fickle and circumstantial and minuscule it can sometimes be, Jesus' words to the Samaritan are what I need to hear. Perhaps you can relate. Jesus saying your faith has made you well reminds us that faith is not something of our own making, but is a pure gift from God. We are rarely good judges of our own faith. And God doesn't ask us to be. Instead, he says, surprise, your faith has made you well. In my eyes, you are a saint, justified by grace through faith. You who didn't think you had any faith. Jesus' surprising announcement of faith in our gospel lesson, where it is really hard to discern what he's talking about, is an example of the faithfulness of God we heard about in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13, in our second lesson, which remains even when we are faithless. God's faithfulness remains. God remains faithful. God's provision of faith to us fair-weather faithful epitomizes the grace that is the absolutely unmerited favor of God toward us despite our very dubious track record. God looks at our lack of future promise and promises us a future 
with him. It is only insofar as God does not leave our future up to us or count us righteous based on the faith that we can muster up that we are saved. That is good news indeed for sinners like us whom, baptized into Jesus' death and resurrection, he calls saints. Sanctified. Holy. So thanks be to our faithful God, who in Jesus Christ has taken on himself our sin and guilt, our shame and self-loathing, our cynicism and despair, and has given us in exchange his own righteousness and freedom. He heals and cleanses us and reconciles us to himself. His gospel word sets us free even when we may be physically confined, living in exile, or just frustrated with the daily grind, with life in our fallen and often frightening world. For his steadfast faithfulness to us, and for his surprising, unmerited, and healing gift of faith. Thanks be to God.